brethren. It's good to be here. I'm, I'm honored to be able to preach the word. And uh, I'm very excited about this message. It's a, a message that's very vital, very important, and practical. And I want to say that when I chose this last week, I didn't get together with Sister Heather, and I did not get together with the people who chose the song this evening. But I'm going to read to you from first, Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, and chapter 7, verse 1. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Also, I'd like someone to find Best Loved, hymn book number 295, and find where it talks about being uh, purified by his blood. And if you'll read that when, uh, in just a little bit. And if someone else will find song number 101 in Best Loved, and read the passage in that song that talks about being purified by his blood. And I'd also like to read the other scripture that Sister Heather read, which is not in my text, but it applies very much to what I want to speak about. So all I'm saying is this is confirmation that this is an important message. Not me being important, but the word of God is important. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 Every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Mm-hmm. Now where the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Mm-hmm. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, mm-hmm. by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Amen. Amazing. Thank you for the scriptures. Praise God for his word. And if someone has hymn number 295, if you will read with a loud voice the part where it talks about being purified from your sins by the blood of Christ. Does someone have that? Brother Robert. Verse 3. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Mm -hmm. Someone has hymn number 101. Sister Heather. Standing on the promises, I now can see perfect present cleansing in the blood for me. Yes. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free. Mm-hmm. Amen. Present. Amen. present cleansing for me. And that's what I want to talk about. It, yeah, that's right. uh, it's confirmed to me this is what I want to speak about. 
And so, uh, welcome to everyone here at Word of Truth Fellowship, and greetings to everyone on live stream who may be watching now or later. And I'm going to my title of my sermon is "How Much More." And I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter nine, starting in verse eleven. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And here's the text, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself Without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Yes. The most important thing I could tell to teach and preach would be about Christ. Mm-hmm. In this case, this is a practical message about the present cleansing we have Amen. through Jesus Christ. Amen. So we know that the old scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, which actually was the only scriptures that the apostles had yes. when the church started, those scriptures still speak to us. So I want to preach the whole counsel of God and point out the glories of Christ. And I want to explain in greater detail what it was that he accomplished for us on the cross. What did he achieve for us? And we have the scriptures, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Mm-hmm. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Amen. So there's things in the Old Testament Scripture that if we did not have those, we would be incomplete in our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is Amen. and what he did. So the uh, Old Testament scriptures have all kinds of prophecies in there, amazing prophecies that came true, and some remaining. But uh, there's many places where it talks about Christ through what we would call types and shadows, figures. Mm -hmm. That uh, the type would be the pattern that something is fashioned after, and the antitype would be the the thing to which it points, the reality that yeah. it's talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, for example, when Moses went up on a, uh, Mount Sinai mm-hmm. and God showed him that in heaven, the tabernacle and the furniture in heaven, wow. that was the type. Yeah. And Moses made it after that pattern. Mm-hmm. So then, in that case, the heavenly tabernacle would be the type, yeah. and Moses' tabernacle that he made was the antitype, right. the thing he had pointed to. But in another sense, what Moses made, mm-hmm. that God commanded him to make the tabernacle, was the type pointing to aspects of Christ. That's right. That's right. So uh, there's some types that are very, very clear. Uh-huh. And I appreciate Brother Robert in his lesson recently talking about these figures. Yeah. So... Uh, and this is something that I don't know much about, about types and shadows and the figures, the uh, type and antitype. So I've put some things in here 
from Webster's Dictionary, it has a definition of type, the mark of something, an emblem, or something that represents something else. Uh, definition number two, it would be a sign, a symbol, a figure of something to come. Like uh, Abraham's sacrifice and the Paschal lamb, the, the Passover lamb, those were types of Christ. Now, this is amazing. This is in Webster's 1828 dictionary. You couldn't put that in a dictionary today, talking about Christ, but he did. And then Webster continues, to this word is opposed antitype. Christ, in this case, is the antitype. So Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac points to Christ. The Passover lamb points to Christ. Christ is the antitype. And then the word antitype is defined. A figure corresponding to another figure. That of which the type is the pattern or the representation. Thus, the Paschal lamb or the Passover lamb in Scripture is the type of which Christ is the antitype. An antitype, then, is something which is formed according to a model or pattern and bearing strong features of resemblance to it. So Brother Robert pointed out in his lesson in Romans 5.14 that Adam was a figure of Christ. And so we actually it teaches something through the, the thing that foreshadows and the thing that comes later. You learn something. It's a lesson. The tabernacle was a figure of the heavenly tabernacle mm-hmm. in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9. And when uh, Abraham was stopped from sacrificing Isaac, his beloved son, mm-hmm. and he received Isaac back from the dead as a figure right. of Jesus Christ, who was resurrected from the dead after heavenly father did sacrifice his only begotten son, whom he loved. That's in Hebrews eleven nineteen. So Brother Robert pointed this out. And again, baptism is a powerful figure that we participate in, illustrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when someone's baptized, mm-hmm. it's a figure pointing to the reality, which is Christ died, buried, and risen, mm-hmm. and that's what saves us. So another word is a shadow. Mm-hmm. And this word is used several times in the Scripture. Mm-hmm. In uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, Moses was told to build the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And it, talk about the priests that offer gifts according to the law mm-hmm. Hebrews 8 5 who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle for see saith he put that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount so that was a shadow mm-hmm. pointing to a reality later in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 it talks about the law Hebrews 10 1 for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Amen. So you have something that came before that points to something later. Mm-hmm. And it, many of them point to Christ. And there's other things that are illustrated. Mm-hmm. But this is uh, exciting to me. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 17, mm-hmm. it talks about the don't let anyone judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or the new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow mm-hmm. of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So Amen. we are participating in the body of Christ, in the reality of Christ. Mm-hmm. And these, those things aren't bad. It's just that that's a, just a pale imitation pointing to the reality of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I put some, uh, if you don't mind, going to go into a little bit of a lesson in the middle of my sermon. 
in the Easton's Bible Dictionary, the, the word type is generally used to denote a resemblance between something present and something future, which is called the antitype. And in uh, Watson's Biblical and Theological Dictionary, it has this to say, we usually consider a type as an example, a pattern or gen general similitude to a person, event, or thing which is to come, and in this it differs from a representation, memorial, or commemoration of an event which is past. Mm -hmm. So the Lord's table, it is not, uh, we're remembering what Jesus did, mm -hmm. but a, a type would be something that points to something in the future. Mm -hmm. Now we are, we're not considering a dead Christ. Yes, he did right. die, but he was buried and rose again. So we're Amen. considering the Lord, and we are looking forward to his future return. Mm -hmm. Now I want to go to uh, a book by E.W. Bullinger called Figures of Speech Used in the Bible, and his definition of the word type. A figure, or an, an example, of something future and more or less prophetic called the antitype. So there's a, there's a danger in finding all these things in the Old Testament and, and making connections that don't really exist. Mm -hmm. And you can force, yeah. uh, distort the scriptures mm -hmm. to try to prove a point. You can prove it from someplace else, but that's, that illustration doesn't go that direction. So you've got to be careful if you're teaching mm -hmm. or preaching about a type yeah. that you don't go beyond what it says. There's other places yeah. that teach the truth. Yeah. Here's what uh, Bullinger says. There is therefore not much profit in following out what have been called types by men. Okay, I'll point out to you that in the scripture, Adam was called a figure of Christ. The tabernacle was a figure. Yeah. The law was a figure. Mm -hmm. So those are things that are clearly pointed to. So Bullinger goes on. Many things are merely, merely illustrations, yeah. and it would be better so to call them, inasmuch as they did not and do not of themselves teach the truths but only illustrate those truths which are elsewhere clearly revealed. We should never have called them types, but for such subsequent revelation, and therefore they are only illustrations as far as their teachings agrees with the clear revelation afterward made. Yeah. And in the Moorish mm -hmm. Bible Dictionary, it, his quote is, many things in the Old Testament are typical mm -hmm. of those in the New Testament as seen in 1 Corinthians 10.11, but as in all us, the teaching of the Holy Spirit is needed, or there is danger of adopting connections which are merely fanciful. So uh, I was talking to Brother Given, and we had talked before about the Moses putting the bronze serpent on the pole, and people looked at it. And it's true that Jesus saved us from our sin, but it's not an illustration of Jesus saving us from our sin. When this... And so I want to correct a little error I made. That type of the serpent on the pole, the people got bit by the serpent, and there was poison in their veins. That's right. And so what it is, if we have sin, it, is, it does have to do with sin, Christ on the, yeah. the cross, but he, he took away the sting mm -hmm. of sin. Amen. So I want to, there's more, more for me to explore. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had written... A definition. I did use the word illustration, but uh, types are prefigurements concerning people, events, or things that represent and illustrate spiritual realities to come. And that uh, types are necessarily incomplete and limited views of the antitype or the thing or person or spiritual reality to which it points. So if you you're going up to someone's front door and they have a, a door with clear glass, but it's cut into patterns. 
like flowers or shapes, and then there's little prisms built in there. If you look at whatever's inside the room through that glass, you'll see all these little pieces of glass, and some of them have weird angles. Yeah. And so you'll see, you can see, but it's not clearly. Mm -hmm. So each one of those little pieces of glass would be like maybe a, a type pointing to the antitype. Mm -hmm. That's not a very good illustration, but that's what came to me. Right. So having said all that, I want to take you to Numbers chapter 19. And this is, to me, very exciting, and I hope you'll give me some extra time. I don't want to waste your time. Numbers chapter 19. This is what uh, Moses was told to do. And this is after Nadab and Abihu. Well, the sons of Korah rebelled, and there was a ho 250 people killed. In Numbers chapter 16. And it, for whatever reason, that may have had to do with contact with a lot of dead bodies. But in Numbers 19, now I'll just read it and go through and make comments. Numbers chapter 19. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer, without spot, wherein there is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. And you shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. And Eleazar the priest shall take of her blood with his finger, and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin and her flesh and her blood with her dung shall he burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop, and scarlet, and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his flesh in the water, and afterward he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until even. And he that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water, and bathe his flesh in water, and shall be unclean until even. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, and lay them up without the camp in a clean place, and it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel." For a water of separation, it is a purification for sin. And he that gathereth the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until even. And it shall be unto the children of Israel and unto the stranger that sojourneth among them for a statue forever. He that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with it on the third day. And on the seventh day he shall be clean. But if he purify not himself the third day, then the seventh day he shall not be clean. Whosoever toucheth the dead body of any man that is dead, and purifieth not himself, defileth the tabernacle of the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from Israel, because the water of separation was not sprinkled upon him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is yet upon him. This is the law. When a man dieth in a tent, all that come into the tent, and all that is in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which hath no covering bound upon it is unclean. And whosoever toucheth one that is slain with a sword in the open fields, or a dead body, or a bone of a man, or a grave, shall be unclean seven days. And for an unclean person they shall take of the ashes of the burnt heifer of purification for sin. And running water shall be put therein in a vessel. And a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, and shall sprinkle it upon the tent, and upon all the vessels, and upon the persons that were there and upon him that touched a bone, or one slain, or one dead, or a grave. 
And the clean person shall sprinkle upon the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day he shall purify himself and wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and shall be clean at even. But the man that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself, that soul shall be cut off from among the congregation because he hath defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of separation hath not been sprinkled upon him. He is unclean. And it shall be a perpetual statute unto them that he that sprinkleth the water of separation shall wash his clothes, and he that toucheth the water of separation shall be unclean until even. And whatsoever the unclean person toucheth shall be unclean, and the soul that toucheth it shall be unclean until even. We notice this is talking about a way of purification for sin, but it's not the atonement or the sin offering. Those are different offerings. Now, the sin offering was burnt outside the camp, but this is not the sin offering. But yet it's a purification for sin. It's not the atonement. Remember on the Day of Atonement, they would take and they would, all the sins of Israel, they would confess and put it on the, on the, uh, uh, one of the goats and then let the other goat in the wilderness and would burn outside the camp. Now this is not, this is not the sin offering or the atonement offering. This is different. So I'm speaking to people here in the assembly and maybe people online You've already received the atonement. Mm -hmm. You've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and his blood has made you clean. Amen. Mm -hmm. And you've been justified, and you've been redeemed, and you've been sanctified. But what happens when you get defiled again? Now we're not talking about the atonement. You've received the atonement. Now we're talking about the constant need for daily purification. Amen. When you get defiled, this is, a, to me, very exciting. Because this is a message I need, and I figured someone else might need it too. Mm -hmm. Amen. So there's a lot of things you could point uh, at about the, this sacrifice. There's some similarities with the sin offering, but it's different. In this case, the uh, red heifer had to be... All the hairs were red. You can read a lot of stuff about the rabbis and their choosing of it and... Uh, I'll just say that it had to had to have it couldn't have more than one not red hair so a perfectly red less three years old or less had a heifer that hadn't been work plowed with or no work so you think about if you are a farmer and you have an animal and you're not allowed to work with it and all you do is feed it and feed it and feed it think about the great cost of that yeah, yeah. I mean if you're a farmer and you have animals you're going to use it for to carry stuff or pull a plow or a wagon or, you know, have uh, more baby cows. Well, now you have a cow, now you're doing is feeding it and feeding it. So think of the great cost of that. Not, not everyone could afford this. But it's yet available for everyone because the whole congregation would bring this. And then what they would do is outside the camp, this would be uh, in the tabernacle. The tabernacle is situated in the center and they'd have the people camping in the areas around side, but they'd go all the way outside the camp and do this, outside the tabernacle. And the, the other sacrifices, the high priests officiated. But this one, now, I'm looking forward to the, the discussion afterwards. You can explain. I don't know if, there was, if there's any reason why it wasn't the high priest that did it. It was the high priest's son, Eliezer, did it. But uh, so it's outside the camp. And what they would do is they'd build a big pile of wood, and the uh, 
There's a fascinating book about the life and times of Jesus the Messiah, Alfred Edersheim, and another book he wrote, uh, The Temple and Its Service, and he goes into a lot of detail about the red heifer. And so apparently they would take this outside and the, they'd put the heifer in there in a certain way and they'd uh, build a big fire and put wood on top. And in the middle of the fire, they would throw the cedar wood. I don't know what that represents. But the hyssop and the scarlet, and there's several other times that these things were used, like at the Passover in Exodus 12, they would use hyssop to strike the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And when they were cleansing the, someone who had leprosy, you would use hyssop and cedar wood and scarlet. So there's these things go through the scriptures in different places. So they throw this all in, and then when the when it all burned up, then you'd collect all those ashes, yeah. and you'd pound it to a, a fine ash, and then you'd store it. What's interesting is that everybody who touched that sacrifice became unclean. And it's outside the camp. It wasn't done in the holy place. Now, the thing I did notice, I don't know if this is what it's teaching, it's just something, a correlation. When Jesus was crucified, he was not in the city of Jerusalem. He was outside. And he was surrounded by unclean people. I don't know if that points to that. But any, some things I want to point out. It was called a water of separation for purification of sins. And so they would, by sprinkling this on people, they would be purified. Now you've got to understand, we're talking about, in the Old Testament, ceremonial uncleanness. You, if you touched a dead body, or there are different things that would make you unclean, and you'd have to be purified from it. If the uh, sacrifices of the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats, could not take away sin, mm -hmm. could they clean the conscience? No, they could not. And we know that the priests, would they would do all these sacrifices, yet they, were, they still had this guilt in their conscience. They never could get rid of that. Praise God, Jesus can cleanse our conscience, yeah. which is something these could never do. But we're talking about just a ceremonial mm -hmm. uncleanness mm -hmm. on the outside. A few years ago, my brother, Philip, pointed out, this is a good recipe for good homemade lye soap. You've got ashes and water and hyssop, you know, I don't think that's the intention of this. But for whatever it is, this is just exterior. It can't get your heart and mind and conscience clean. And you notice also this was done outside the camp. All these other sacrifices were done in the tabernacle. They take, or the temple, they take the blood in, they would sprinkle it on the altar. They sprinkle it on different things. They sprinkle it on the curtain. They go in once a year into the Holy of Holies to the mercy seat and sprinkle blood. This blood never made it in there. That's right. And if there was another purification that didn't involve the tabernacle, that points to a need for another sacrifice that wasn't... This points to Christ. Because all those sacrifices in the tabernacle could not take away sin and could not purify sin. Obviously, there had to be one that did. And so we're talking about one sacrifice for sin that Jesus did yeah. on the cross. And there's different aspects of looking at it. We have the peace offering, we have the burnt offering, we have the sin offering, the trespass offering, the atonement, the Passover. And now we have the, the ashes of the red heifer. This points to the need for daily cleansing, which, praise God, we have through Jesus Christ. You notice that if a person did not 
cleanse themselves. They were not purified from their defilement. They would be cut off from Israel. And it's called a water of separation to sprinkle them. And you notice that if someone just walked on a grave, they'd be made unclean for seven days. It's kind of interesting. Outside the city of Jerusalem, from what I understand, they had a bridge crossing the Kidron Valley. And it had arches and a walkway. They made a second bridge on top of the first one because the first bridge, one of the pillars might be on a grave. So they made another bridge so that now the pillars are on the open spaces so it wouldn't accidentally touch the grave. But whether that's true or not, I don't know. But Jesus went across the Kidron Valley the night he was betrayed. into the. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. They walked across the Kidron Valley. And I believe he probably walked across very close to where he would be crucified later the next day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was outside the camp. It's interesting. Brother Sid mentioned in Matthew 27 that the, the centurion standing there saw Jesus, saw the earthquake, saw the temple curtain being ripped from where Jesus was on the cross. You could probably look into the temple and see the curtain rip. It's just... Uh, but this is a... Purification for sin, I believe it points to the purification we have daily by Jesus Christ. Now, it's not the atonement or the sin offering. There's a interesting that the Old Testament worship was mainly ritualistic and symbolic. And if a person couldn't go to the tabernacle, they had no access to God. And so a defilement would keep you from God. Well, there's a, that aspect is true. If we are defiled, we're going to draw back from God. We won't want to go to him, but that's what we need to do. We, have a, we can get defiled by contact with the dead. There's people around us that are spiritually dead. There's things that we can take in Eating unclean things. Well, I know that the Word of God is clean. That's my food. Mm-hmm. But if, if things that we take in through our ears and our eyes, that can make us defiled. Yes. But think about this. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, that's not the food and the drink that defiles you, because that goes into your body and out into the draft. Yes. Defilement comes from within. Amen. I'd like to look at the scriptures here. Because this is very important. We are carrying around in our bodies a source of defilement. This is Mark chapter 7. I won't read the whole thing because I'm already way over time. But Mark chapter 7, verse 15. Jesus speaking. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they which defile the man. Mm-hmm. If any man have ears, let him hear. Mm-hmm. Let's go down to verse 20. Jesus speaking again. He said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. Yes. For from within, out of the heart of man, yes. proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, mm-hmm. wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. Amen. 
Now, I'm going to see if I can find the scripture here. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 14, there's a principle here that I suggest we employ. Now, listen to me before you jump to conclusions here. But Exodus 31, verse 14, You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. That's pointing to the rest that we have in Jesus Christ and pointing to our salvation. It's not earned by works. It's by faith. Mm-hmm. But here there's a person, and later there's a man who was picking up sticks right. on the Sabbath day, and they stoned him to death. They put him to death. And I'm suggesting that whatever defiles should be put to death. Yeah, and that means right. what is coming out of us out of our old man, yes. we put that to death because right. it defiles us. Yeah. And I also want to tell you that because we have the potential of being defiled on a daily basis mm-hmm. by contact with things around us, situations, and from our own thoughts and what comes out of our mouth, we need the daily purification that Jesus Christ provides through his blood. Mm-hmm. The... Uh, I have a lot more I could say, but I want to point out and uh, let's go to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 33, 43 and 44. Leviticus Leviticus chapter 11. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defy yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall be therefore be holy, for I am holy. Well, what does it matter? It's just a little, it's a little thing. It's a creeping thing. God won't care about that. Yes, he does. Yes. Put it to death. The works of the flesh, put them to death. That's right. And when you've been defiled, praise God, we can go and get cleansed any time. Right. And what happens when you get defiled, then you start to draw back. Because mm-hmm. yeah. then you're, you're feeling guilty again. Mm-hmm. That's what the conscience is for. Amen. When your conscience has been cleaned, and now there's a sin or evil thought, and it registers on your conscience. Yes. Amen. And it causes you to draw back from God. But you need to get your conscience clean. So I'm just going to tell you, when that happens, uh-huh. rush right to the throne of grace. Amen. Amen. Now, you can get help before you sin. When it's a temptation, yeah. you can get help. But even little things, uh-huh. we get defiled. Yes. We need that purification Amen. that Jesus Christ can provide. That's right. There's a... Leviticus chapter 22, verse 8. That which dieth of itself, or is torn with beasts, he shall not eat, to defile himself therewith. I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. I'll just say, be careful what you eat. Yeah. Don't eat spiritual roadkill. Amen. That's right. Make sure what you're eating is pure. I know the word of God is pure. Yeah. 
So the things you take in, I just want to, this was very exciting to me, and I had more things that were, uh, I think I've covered it. I'm looking forward to the, uh, to the uh, conversation time, the uh, exhortation, so we can clear up some things that, but I just want to encourage you. Just like the ashes of the red heifer mm-hmm. were prepared and stored up yep. so you could go get cleansed when you're defiled. Mm-hmm. Amen. Jesus Christ can cleanse you by his blood. Yep. Amen. In 1 John Amen. chapter 1, let me read this scripture to you. First John 1 John 1.7 If we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship, one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is the one that that type of the ashes of the red heifer points to. The reality is in Christ. Now, those sacrifices of the Old Testament... All the blood, millions of gallons of blood, millions of animals slaughtered, could not remove a single sin. It pointed to the reality that sins can be removed by Jesus. Could not clean the conscience. Could not change your heart. Could not clean your mind. But Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, his blood, does all of those things. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen. If you've never come to Jesus Christ to have your sins forgiven, then you need the atonement. That's right. But I assume that most people I'm speaking to are Christians. If you already got the atonement, you need the ashes of the red heifer. You need Jesus Christ to cleanse you on a daily basis so you don't go to sleep defiled. And thank you very much for your time.